0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 40. In the previous episode, we were talking about how God purifies and prepares His people. Here, the emphasis is on how God promotes his people. And of course, that sequence is very important. God purifies and prepares before he promotes. He enrolls us in the school of affliction in order to prepare us for the good works which he has prepared in advance to be our way of life. And that's what we see here. In this chapter, we see God orchestrating circumstances by which Joseph will be promoted out of the prison, and right into the prime minister's office. His rise to position and prominence parallels, in many respects, the rise of Daniel in Babylon, which, of course, happens many generations later in the narrative timeline. But it is helpful for us to notice the similarities. We want to learn who God is, and we want to understand how God works. So, without further ado, let's read the story. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now, I suspect that most of us have a hard time picturing this. Maybe we've seen a Joseph movie or play, or maybe we just have Shawshank Redemption on the brain, but it is helpful here to notice the actual details of the text. Joseph is not serving his time in some sort of supermax institutional setting. He is in some sort of prison that is attached to the house of the captain of the guard. Well, the captain of the guard is Potiphar. We know that because we read that, that we read that in chapter 39, verse 1, which says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Right? So Potiphar was in charge of Pharaoh's officials. He was like a chief steward. So he was the manager of all the palace servants and officials. The two new prisoners were high-ranking palace servants. The cupbearer was probably the guy who was in charge of purchasing and serving all the wine for state functions and for Pharaoh's private meals. The baker was obviously in charge of all the breads, pies, desserts, etc. that would have been served at state functions and in private settings. Therefore, obviously having offended the king in some way, they are remanded into Potiphar's custody until their fate can be decided. So, this is a holding cell for household servants. This is not Rikers Island prison. Victor Hamilton puts it this way. He says, the prison in which the chief butler and baker are detained would be a room attached to Potiphar's house. Confinement is probably no more than house arrest, but prison is prison, and it is bad enough that Joseph refers to it as a dungeon, closed quote. So, This is bad. No one is saying it isn't. But it's not supermax. There there are probably only a handful of detainees and Joseph is placed in charge of these two new prisoners. He is over them, but he's also serving them. All of which seems to indicate that Potiphar likely had some doubts about the accusations that had been made against Joseph. But if a man has to choose between his wife and his servant, he's going to choose his wife. And that seems to be what Potiphar is doing here. We jump back into the story at verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We've had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, notice here how Joseph says the same thing as Daniel will say when he is called upon to interpret a dream. In Daniel chapter 2, when the king had a dream but couldn't remember the details and had no idea what it meant, Daniel was brought in after every wise man of the Babylonians had failed. And he said this, Daniel 2, 27 to 29, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. And he told him the dream and its interpretation. Daniel was careful not to portray himself as a wise man or as in some way the source of the particular insight. Daniel wanted it to be known that interpretations come from God. Notice that. God delights to promote people who are eager to give him glory. Notice this also. Joseph believes that the dreams have a meaning and a purpose. He doesn't say to the Egyptians, listen, you guys are pagans to begin with and dreams are very subjective and easily abused by fakes and charlatans. No, he assumes that the dreams have meaning because Joseph believes in the sovereignty of God. Again, let me quote from Hamilton again. He says, there are two factors here at work in the story. One is Joseph's ability to interpret the happenings in his life and in that of his family as illustrative of God's control and use of otherwise inscrutable events. The second is Joseph's conviction about God's control every time he interprets a dream. Are you hearing that? Joseph believes that God is involved, and Joseph believes that God is in charge. Therefore, he looks at everything going on in his life, and he assumes it has a meaning. That, of course, extends to dreams. Listen, I will tell you this. I think it is a weird situation that most of the people in the church today who believe in God's sovereignty tend to dismiss the possibility that dreams might have meaning and significance. Now, of course, I know why this is. We are currently busy overreacting to the charismatic excesses of the 1980s and 90s, and we aren't finished being horribly embarrassed. But surely, if we believe that God is the ultimate first cause of everything, then we would be inclined to think that if we have a dream, then it might mean something or portend something we should pay attention to. Now, of course, no one is saying that you should treat dreams as authoritative. Remember, Joseph's dream left out so many important details that it would have been entirely incapable of serving as a basis for any kind of life choice or decision-making process. But he had the wisdom, at least, to think about it, to remember it. That's all I'm saying. If you believe that God is in charge of everything, then you look for significance in the seemingly insignificant and inscrutable details of life. That's what I'm saying, and that's what we are seeing in this story. Verse 9 says, So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Now, even in English, this is clearly a dream about threes. There are three vines on the branches. There are three main verbs in the actions, budded, shot forth, and ripened Pharaoh's name is mentioned three times, and the cupbearer's response is described in three movements. I took, I pressed, I placed. There's something going on with the number three here, and Joseph spots that. Verse 12 says, Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph doesn't pray about the interpretation. He just gives it, trusting that God is using this in order to promote him out of the dungeon, out of the pit. And so he asks the cupbearer to remember him. Verse 16 says, When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Once again, Joseph doesn't pray about the interpretation. He just speaks the interpretation that comes to his mind. Birds eating the cakes you're trying to deliver to Pharaoh does seem like an ominous sign. And the recurrence of the three theme suggests some kind of connection with the timing of the first dream but unlike the first dream the outcome is not favorable the baker will be executed in 3 days time verse 20 says on the third day which was pharaoh's birthday he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants there's a bit of wordplay there where lifted up the head can mean two different things obviously verse 21 he restored the chief cupbearer to his chief position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph was right, right? God was in this. God had, obviously, Authored the dreams and used them to exalt Joseph in the eyes of the cupbearer who had now been restored to Pharaoh's inner circle. The cupbearer had not yet remembered Joseph, but Joseph must be confident now that God has begun to move. We'll pick up the story in chapter 41. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to End of the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, You can find those over the website at ww.into-word.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word.